As we've been going through Hebrews 11, this great hall of faith, we've, we've seen a lot of different people, Old Testament heroes who lived by faith in God. Uh, we try to make some practical application to our lives through these studies. For some of you, though, I'm, I'm wondering, maybe you're a bit like me, maybe you've had a hard time identifying with some of these people that are mentioned here in Hebrews 11. But no matter how much you desire to follow God uh, and, and follow their godly examples, still it's, it's, it's next to impossible that you'll ever be called upon to do some of these things that these men and women have done. For example, uh, like Abraham, uh, God's, I, I, I seriously doubt God is going to ask you fathers to sacrifice your children on an altar and stab them through the heart with a knife, right? Probably not. Uh, you're probably not going to be called upon like Noah and spend 120 years of your life building a big boat. Probably not. Uh, you're, you're probably not going to live in a tent or sacrifice you know, your only son like Abraham did, and these sort of things that we see here, right? However, we're coming to a, a man here that hopefully you can you can identify with, all right? Uh, I certainly can. I love Moses. We're going to not, I like Moses. Uh, I love my wife. I love, I like Moses. And I can identify in many ways with Moses and his experience and the conflicts and so forth that he went with. And maybe you can identify as well. Uh, maybe you have had to face some similar situations that he did. And uh, certainly there's some things we can, we can learn as the Bible teaches us. Uh, if only we will listen to what the Scripture is saying. But today's example of faith, as I said, comes from the life of Moses. He's, uh, Moses and uh, certainly Abraham are the two, two most well-known uh, and, and the ones that are mentioned that with the most words here in the great hall of faith. We're not going to look at the entire passage today, but uh, if you were to, to do so, there's many things through the life of Moses you can learn here. In uh, verses 23 to 29, it deals with the whole life of Moses. We're just going to look at a part of this, but there's actually four illustrations of faith in God mentioned here in this passage. Uh, the first one mentioned in verse 23 here is where his parents actually hid Moses for three months. Remember, Pharaoh had said to have have all the baby children of Israel murdered. Well, his, fortunately, his parents didn't do that. And then in verses 24 to 26, Moses forsook the, the riches of Egypt. We're going to focus more on that passage for today. But moving on into 27 and 28, Moses led uh, Israel's exodus from Egypt as they were uh, coming out and moving into the promised land. It mentions the Passover that they... Celebrated, and then in verse twenty-nine, Moses led Israel across the across the Red Sea. So those are all various events significant in Moses' life. Show here's a man who lived by faith. Apparently, his his parents did as well. But while all four of those are tremendous acts of faith, in this particular message today. We're going to study the, the second one that was mentioned there and, and just note some truths that are mentioned there and 
what can we learn from Moses' choice? So here's the proposition for today, my friends. It's kind of been very similar going through Hebrews 11. It's just basically this, that God wants you to imitate the faith of Moses. God wants you to imitate the faith of Moses. And this is something that you can do. So look at uh, verse 23. Hebrews eleven twenty-three says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. That's what we're going to focus on today. And of course, if you look at verse 29 and uh, it, or sorry, 27, it goes on to continue talking about Moses. So let me just read it, even though we're not going to look at it. It says, in verse 27, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So that's what it says about Moses. So notice, in, in starting here in verse 23, it mentions some things that Moses gave up. What did Moses give up? Well, first of all, he gave up his position. He gave up his position. Notice in verse 23, it mentions he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. If you remember the story in Exodus, uh, his, his parents put little baby Moses in the basket, in a, some reed basket in the Nile River, and Pharaoh's daughter found Moses, brought Moses into Pharaoh's household, and Moses became the prince of Egypt. It was great position coming with that. Rank, power, prestige, honor. All of those were placed there before Moses. All were within his grasp as prince of Egypt. And is this not what some men sacrifice everything for? It's what they want the most. They want the gold, the glory, and the girls. And Moses could have had them all. But he gave it up. He gave it up. He could have been looked up to, could have been respected, could have had a name. He gave it up. Moses had it all, but he gave up that position. And by the way, some historians even tell us that Moses could have been next in line to be Pharaoh. And by the way, may I remind you, this was during the time of some great pharaohs, right? We're talking time around the time when the great pyramids were built. Powerful empire during this time period. Great pharaohs who could demand whatever they want, including having great pyramids built. And he's next in line. 
to be Pharaoh, apparently. But Moses said no to all of what came with that position. There's a second thing he gave up. He gave up pleasure. He gave up pleasure. It's interesting how the Bible here is describing this, because he refused to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. It was Moses recognized that sin, yeah, it's pleasurable, but it's fleeting. In other words, it doesn't last. It doesn't last. It's like steam. You try to grasp it, and you never really get it. It never lasts. And Egypt, of course, you, you probably know, is a land of great treasure, lots of pleasures, all sorts of kinds of pleasures. The, Moses could have had sensual pleasures, the social pleasures of life, the intellectual pleasures, the recreational pleasures, the cultural pleasures, and the list could go on and on. And he gave that up. Moses could have chosen to enjoy any one of those at any time he felt like as the prince of Egypt. He was free to enjoy any pleasure that his heart desired, from the simple pleasures of life to sinful pleasures. He had it all. And this is exactly what a lot of people in a world live for, don't they? Pleasure. They're pleasure-seeking. They want the opportunity to enjoy their pleasures. And the ultimate goal of, it seems like for, for most people, is to just please themselves. However, Moses would have none of that. He's willing to turn his back on all of that, and apparently he did according to the Bible here. And here in Hebrews 11, it also says there's a third thing that Moses gave up. It's prosperity. He gave up prosperity. He did that by refusing to live for all of those treasures of Egypt. In verses 23 to 26, you, you can see, particularly verse 24, when he, when he was grown up, he refused not only to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And so that's why he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. So he had within his grasp all these riches. At the time, the wealthiest nation on planet earth was Egypt. And he gave it up. If you've ever watched any documentaries on Egypt or read any books on Egypt, you, you know that the pharaohs had accumulated a lot of wealth over the years. Moses could have had access to all of that, being in Pharaoh's household. And you say, well, how much wealth did they have? Well, you look at one insignificant king of Egypt by the name of Tutankhamun, the boy king who apparently died at around the age of 19. He was only 19. 20 years old when he died, insignificant. So insignificant, they couldn't even find his tomb in the Valley of the Kings until, what, sometime in the 1900s. When they eventually found, you remember Carter, if you know the story, Carter finally found his, his tomb and all the wealth that was in an insignificant Pharaoh's tomb. Unbelievable, the amount of gold and everything else that was in there. And that's just one insignificant Pharaoh. A lot of wealth. They were buried in gold sarcophagus. <laughs> Unbelievable. 
And then they would put the gold on their face within that. It's just a lot of gold. Moses could have had access to all of that and all that it could buy. And it's not often that one man has that kind of opportunity as to be able to enjoy all of that, the pleasure, the position, and the prosperity, and have all of that in the prime of his life and then to give it all up. And That's exactly what he did. Moses was that one man who had this unique opportunity, but he refused all of it. Hard to imagine, isn't it? You, you, you look at Moses and you say, well, some people think he's crazy. <laughs> he's lost his marbles up here. His mind's you know, gone off into la-la land somewhere. Why would someone choose to give all that up? There must be something that he's, he's getting in exchange that is better than all of the wealth and the position and the pleasures of Egypt, right? Something must be far better to give all that up. So what did Moses choose? Well, let's see what the Bible says. The first thing the Bible mentions here is Moses chose affliction. Really? (laughs) He chose affliction. Wow. Because verse 25, you know, it mentions he's choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Wow. He's choosing affliction. And Moses went from all those comforts of being in Pharaoh's courts and being in the company of all of Pharaoh's slaves and being a a ruler and a prince of Egypt to suffering affliction. And although it is natural for a man to be afraid of suffering and pain and and, uh, we tend to want to avoid those things, Moses deliberately chose the punishment and the abuse that Israel is experiencing here under the Egyptians. Remember, they were slaves for like 430 years. And so Moses is choosing to identify with God's people instead of the Egyptians. And with that, of course, came affliction. The second thing he chose was contempt. He chose contempt. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction, notice, with the people of God. That's Israel. So he's choosing to identify himself with those people who are here at the bottom of the social class. They're slaves. That's what the Bible's telling us. And so the one who had grown up in the palace, enjoying all of that position, the pleasures, and everything else, the riches, is choosing to identify himself with poor people. These people who are oppressed. There's a third thing that Moses is choosing. Number three is scorn. If you look at verse 26, it says that he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So notice, Moses chose the reproach of Christ. The reproach of Christ. Now here's uh, the author... J.C. Ryle, as he was describing this particular aspect here of Moses' choice, here's what he says, quote, Who can conceive the torrent of mockery and ridicule that Moses would have to stem in turning away from Pharaoh's court to join Israel? Men would tell him he was mad, foolish, weak, silly, out of his mind. He would lose his influence 
he would forfeit the favor and good opinion of all among whom he had lived. But none of these things moved him. He left the court and joined the slaves. There are few things more powerful than ridicule and scorn. It can do far more than open enmity and persecution. Many a man who would march up to a cannon's mouth or lead a forlorn hope or storm a breach has found it impossible to face the mockery of a few companions and has flinched from the path of duty to avoid it, to be laughed at, to be made a joke of, to be jested and sneered at, to be reckoned weak and silly, to be thought a fool. There is nothing grand in all this, and many, alas, cannot make up their minds to undergo it. Yet here is a man who made up his mind to it and did not shrink from the trial. Moses saw reproach and scorn before him, and he chose them and accepted them for his portion. End quote. That's what he chose. He gave up the position, the pleasures, all of this wealth of Egypt for scorn. What would cause a man to do that? Unbelievable. Unless there's something greater than all of those three things. You would say the man is insane, wouldn't you? Unless there's something better. And that's the point that Scripture is going to make for us. So let's talk about why Moses made his choice. He's not insane. He's not insane. In fact, he might be the only one who is sane, who is in his right mind. So why did Moses make this choice? Why would anybody give up these three things, pleasure, position, and prosperity, and give them up for things like affliction, contempt, and scorn. See, it just doesn't make sense, does it? We read in our text why Moses did it. It tells us why he did it. Notice verse 23. Notice how it starts. It says, by faith. Verse 24 starts, by faith. And you just keep seeing this over and over again, don't you? Verse 27 tells you by faith. Verse 28, by faith. <laughs> right? Do you get the point? God's repeating this to tell you, this is by faith. You must live by faith. It's by faith. That's how he did it. It's the only way he could have done it. So the affliction, the contempt, and the scorn do not appear here to certainly be desirable to the average person, but it is for somebody who can look with the eyes of faith not natural. It's supernatural. See, Moses could see things that other people couldn't see. So that's why to the natural person, in an unbeliever, this appears like Moses has lost his marbles. He, he needs to be put in the insane asylum, right? He's gone bonkers. He needs one of those padded rooms that doesn't have any corners where he can't hurt himself and no one else. But no, he, he can see things that other people can't. Because he has the eyes of faith. And as a result, then these other things look more desirable than all the riches of Egypt. And so Moses recognized that his actual choice was not between prosperity and poverty. It's not contrasting position with the persecution. 
His real choice is something different. His real choice is between, am I going to please myself, or am I going to please God? That's the real issue. Who, who is he going to worship here? Is he going to worship God or himself? And so he chose to identify, not with the world, but with Christ and God's people here. Moses knew that there was nothing wrong in and of themselves with the position, those pleasures, and the prosperity. But when they stand between him and a greater purpose, then that becomes the problem, doesn't it? See, uh, to please God should be the high priority. Being obedient to God should be the number one priority. And, And he knew that those other things stood in the way. They were the barrier. And the only way that Moses could ever have been able to recognize this was by faith. God had to grant him this ability to see the greater, to see the better, the superior thing. And so his faith, that the, the, the joy that could come from serving God was far better than the pleasures of Egypt. And so that encouraged him to make this decision. See, think about this, my friends. Think about it. What's better? Worldly pleasures that are sinful pleasures and, and are dishonoring to God? Is that better? Uh, how about worldly pleasures that are only temporary, that are going to just soon pass away? Notice the Bible is not denying there is some pleasure to sin. Okay, God, God knows there is some pleasure to sin. That's why a lot of people choose it. What's the problem with sin? See, Satan and sin in this world always overpromise and underdeliver. Always. Overpromise and underdeliver. You need to know this. You need to believe this. Otherwise, you're going to be sucked in by your three enemies, the world, Satan, and your flesh. They overpromise and underdeliver. Sin is pleasurable but it never lasts, it never satisfies, and you have to keep constantly seeking the next buzz. It's the way it works. It's temporary, and will pass away. The reward in heaven, though, is of far greater value than all the riches of this world. And that's why Jesus, by the way, tells you in Matthew 6, he's not against treasure, right? Jesus is not against treasure. He just is against you wasting it and storing up in the wrong place. And so he says, store up your treasure in heaven where the thieves can't touch it and the rust won't destroy it and the moths won't eat it. Place it in heaven where it will last. See, there's affliction. And that affliction is God's method of purifying his people. And since affliction draws us to God, separates us, um, and, and, and sin, though, separates us from God, then the, guess what? The greatest affliction is to be preferred above the least sin in your life. If affliction draws you to God, that's a blessing. So faith enabled Moses to weigh these things in his mind and to conclude that obedience to God was of far greater value than all the world could offer him. Think about Moses' choice, my friends. Because this is important, because... You and I, you, you, 
Some of you still might be having a hard time relating to this. But you and I are faced with the same choice. What decision have you made? See, your enemies are going to put these choices before you and offer you positions and pleasures and, 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 and prosperity. And you can get sucked in by that. What decision have you made? See, pleasure is not evil within itself. Neither are suffering and reproach good within themselves. But Moses chose to reject the pleasure because of what comes with it. What comes with it was the sin. So he chose to embrace reproach because it was accompanied by righteousness. So my friends, have you done the same? Or are you still being influenced by your selfish ambitions? Are you being influenced by your worldly-minded friends and workmates? What does true faith do? True faith will enable you to see the true nature of the earthly riches. You'll see what is reality, and you'll be able to look beyond those. You'll be able to see an incorruptible inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you. Do not make the terrible mistake of trying to hold on to as much as the world can give you and at the same time trying to live for Christ. It doesn't work. Remember the words of Jesus Christ when He said that no man can serve two masters. You're going to either love the one or hate the other. You can't serve God and money. You just can't do it. Jesus said so. So stop trying. It doesn't work, Jesus says. And and if uh, if you're that kind of person, Jesus says you're against me. Kind of reminds me of a story I heard several years ago. A teenage girl was diagnosed to have contracted an incurable disease. And so as she was laying on her deathbed there, she called her father to the bedside and she said, Your heart is black as hell, Father. If you had taught me to live for God rather than spending your time quarreling with Mother, I might have been saved. And turning to the others in the room, she said, Do not follow my ungodly example. Do not do as I have done. Do not indulge in the hellish pleasures of the world. And then she suddenly cried, Oh, the devil is coming to drag my soul down to hell, and I am lost, lost forever. She died. Horrible story, isn't it? But what a contrast that presents to the testimony we read here of Moses. Yeah, he he gave up some things, but his soul wasn't dragged down to hell forever. (laughs) He chose please God instead. So my friends, listen to those who have traveled the road of life before you. God wants you to learn from these people. There is nothing in this world but vanity and emptiness. That's one of the points of Ecclesiastes. It's, it's, it's worthless without God. See, only God can give you the lasting peace that you were searching for. Only God can give you real love, joy, and peace. Time is quickly fleeting. The reality is your life is soon going to be over. Your life is described as a vapor. And what are you going to have to show for it when it's all done? 
What will you choose to invest your life in? See, this world's going to offer you what might appear to be some great things. But a lot of temporary things, a lot of temporary pleasures in this world that won't last, won't bring you love, joy, and peace. Serving God can do all that. So will you live to please yourself, or are you going to live to please God? I heard it said one time, there's only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. That's it. Your whole life is summed up by those two choices. What are you going to do? Choose please God or please self? You say, well, how do I know if I'm pleasing God or pleasing self? Let me just give you a few questions to think about, okay? The following questions, I hope you stir your mind a bit and ask yourself, where is my commitment? Think of it this way. What bothers you more? This, this will determine if you're pleasing God or pleasing self, these sort of things, right? What bothers you more? Suffering the loss of your worldly possessions or displeasing God? What bothers you more? Think about it. What's your highest ambition in life? Do you want to be great or good? Great or good? Do you want to excel in your earthly riches, or would you rather have godly wisdom? What do you pray for? That often reveals a lot about our hearts, doesn't it, what we pray for? Uh, do, you wanna, do, do you pray to avoid sin? That God would not lead you into temptation? You know, that's what Jesus says in the model prayer. Don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Or do you, you, you pray for the more for the troubles in your life, whatever those are? What makes you desire to go to heaven more? The afflictions in your life or your sin? It's not wrong to want to go to heaven, but uh, those, those are the sort of questions I ask myself that just help reveal my heart. Where are my desires? Do, do I care more about the afflictions in my life or my sin? What, what bothers me more? Are you willing to give up anything other than Christ? Or would you set Christ aside for something else? Well, that reveals your heart then, doesn't it? William Shakespeare talks about something that reveals a man's heart. Have any of you ever read or seen The Merchant of Venice? It's an interesting story. There's... in, in in uh, Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, uh, of sorry of Venice, there's a woman named Portia. I don't know how you say her Portia, however you say her name. But anyway, she was a beautiful, wealthy heiress. She had many suitors of noble birth who wanted to marry her, but her father's will decreed that her husband would be chosen by a certain test. Now, in the movie, you have the actor. He's he, he, the, the, the various actors and these suitors had to choose between three chests. This was in the father's will. And this would determine who get to marry Portia or Portia. One chest was made of gold. And on the gold chest was inscribed these words, Who chooses me shall gain what many men desire. Inside the chest was a skull. 
a human skull. The second chest was of silver, and it had this inscription. It said, Who chooses me shall get as much as he deserves. And inside was a picture of a fool. Some of the suitors picked the silver chest. But this man chose the winning chest. In the winning chest, it didn't look as nice. It was made of lead. And inside the lead chest was a picture of Portia. Outside was this inscription. It said, Who chooses me must give and hazard all he has. Of all the suitors, there was only one man who chose the lead chest. Bassanio chose the right one. He chose the lead chest. Both the precious metals and the inscriptions were attractive to a lot of those suitors. They chose wrong. Bassanio picked the one of lead and got Portia because he was willing to give everything he had for the sake of the one he loved. Do you see the correlation here to Moses? Moses gave up a lot of things to gain something better. And that's the attitude that every Christian should have about Christ. Because isn't it interesting, in verse 26, it says that he considered the reproach of Christ as superior to all of the rest that was offered to him. Somehow, by the eyes of faith, Moses was able to see Christ, that Christ is superior, and that's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. Christ is superior to everything else. And by the way, I often think of this when I want to defeat sin in my own life. How do you defeat sin? I remember Moses. You always defeat sin with superior pleasure. You don't, you don't defeat sin by trying to make sin look bad. Because remember, what, what does it say in, in verse 25? That sin is pleasurable. It is. It just doesn't last. It's fleeting. It's only for a moment. It never satisfies. So you have to defeat the sin with something that's better, that is superior. And for Moses, it was Christ. And it's the same for you, my friend. You will never defeat sin unless by the eyes of faith you see Christ as superior to your sin. It's the only way it's going to happen. That's the the attitude every Christian should have about Christ. We should be willing to forsake, to hazard all that we have for the sake of God's will. The Bible tells us Moses agreed with this. The Apostle Paul agreed that because for, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 tells us that our momentary light affliction <laughs> is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Th- that verse blows me away every time I hear it or read it. D- do you understand what Paul just said? Moses agrees with this. Isn't it interesting that affliction is described as momentary and light? Now, I know you're thinking the same thing that I'm thinking. Affliction is momentary and light. It doesn't feel very light when I'm going through it, right? We're all thinking the same thing. You were thinking, man, this is heavy, and I'm going to get crushed. It is so heavy. 
I understand. I, I, I'm with you on that one, okay? It doesn't feel light. And, and by the way, may I remind you who said that? The Apostle Paul said that? He described his affliction as light. And when he described his affliction, he number of times he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was in prison, and he suffered... Uh, Various other issues in his life, you know, sleeping out in the cold, uh, not having a proper place to stay, and, you know, dealing with all of these various things in his life, constantly under attack by Israelis, (laughs) if you want to get them, the Jews. Those are just some of the things he mentioned. And yet he says it's light affliction. So the Apostle Paul understood as he looks at life through the eyes of faith, he could say that it's producing for me an eternal weight of glory, and that is beyond all comparison. He he, he saw it as superior, as better. It's worth choosing. So my question for you, my friend, is will you imitate the faith of Moses? That's what God desires for you to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving the eyes of faith to these people here in Hebrews 11, and Moses in particular. We're thankful that he chose wisely. You enabled him to do this, giving up some great things for something that was far superior. So may we be able to do the same. Would you give us the eyes of faith that we would give up the the fleeting pleasures of sin, that the the world and Satan and our own sin nature is going to throw at us. May we not succumb to these things, but we recognize, yeah, that sin is pleasurable, but it is fleeting. It's only momentary and will never ultimately satisfy. So may our hearts be drawn to reality, to you, to Christ in particular, to see Christ as superior, greater, and better than anything else. Would you cause us to believe that? We know you want us to imitate the faith of Moses here. We're thankful for his good example. May we imitate this great faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.